Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And And we're we're going going Round Springfield. All right, that's the best we've done. Ah, Allie, I think you delay it on purpose sometimes. Hey, I'm a drummer. I'm a living metronome. I'm not. And I guess I'm only a karaoke singer, so this makes sense. I didn't mean to start this podcast with a fight in front of our guest. Yeah, this time we didn't mean to do that, but the other times we do. You guys know the score. This is our new spinoff version of our old New old Simpsons podcast used to be called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. Now it's called Round Springfield uh, when we can remember to say it uh, in tune. And we're talking to people who've worked on The Simpsons about everything but The Simpsons because they are all very talented individuals who have full lives outside of the best TV show uh, (laughs) on the planet. I'm excited about this one for so many reasons, but I feel like out of a lot of our uh, recent guests, this guest today has not only written, produced, directed, you're going to correct me on that, but acted in a shit ton of stuff that I want to know all the behind the scenes stories for. Let's just bring him in. Welcome, Dana Gould. Hi. Nice to see you. I've only directed one thing. And from that, I went, you can do this. (laughs) (laughs) What did you direct? I directed a short movie when I was at The Simpsons that I just wanted to make called um, Soulmates. Mm-hmm. And it was with Paul Greenberg and David Koechner and Arden Marine. And I wanted, I wrote it and I wanted to direct it. And then as I was directing it, I realized I'm not good at this. <laughs> I'd rather sit with the director and go, you want to do that? Yeah. I, you have to communicate with the DP. You have to know like how to swing shots. You need to figure out how to interpret how many pages per day. I'm like... I, I just write the words, man. I just I just want to do my jazz in the corner. <laughs> That's exactly right. Nine times out of ten, I either work with uh, Rob Cohen, who has also written uh, wrote Flaming Moe's. Oh, wow. Whose brother, Joel Cohen, has been on the staff for a long time. And mm-hmm. and, and Rob and I have been friends since we were writers on the Ben Stiller show. So we, we go way back. Usually if I write something, I just have Rob direct it. And we can just kind of like, you want to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> or Greg Nicotero. Mm-hmm. He directs a lot of stuff that I write. I'm writing something for Greg right now. And uh, something I I wrote that Rob directed uh, went on the interweb today. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. Can you talk about that a little bit? There's a fundraiser called Act Blue and a group called Stand Up for America. And it's to flip the Senate. Uh, to uh, the Democratic Party. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. Listen, we have one rule on this podcast, and it's no politics. So um, you just cut to the laughs. <laughs> That's understandable. This is a political uh, political commercial uh, for a cause to be named later. It involves uh, Dr. Zayas uh, standing in front of the shattered remains of the Statue of Liberty, making a plea for people to donate to a specific political party. <laughs> and how do you connect personally to this subject matter? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was actually somebody said uh Jim Turner a very good friend of mine said uh, hey we're you know we're doing this thing and uh we'd love to do a thing and as is normal for me I want what is the most expensive complicated way to do a one minute comedy video and it involved me doing 2 hours of planet of the apes makeup being talked through it on zoom 
by the makeup artist oh because God, wow. he can't be with me anymore. Right. So it was the oh it was God. the foam rubber. It was the the foam rubber version of the ending of the <laughs> airport movies. <laughs> to your right in the case, there's brown paint. Take it out. I bet you love that because it probably made you feel like a secret agent or something like. The coordinates are here. <laughs> I've done it twice now, remotely, once for the Jimmy Kimmel show where I appeared as Dr. Zayas on Zoom, and then now for this. And then in addition to doing all that, we did it green screen, and then um, uh, Mike Upchurch matted in, mm. took the footage of the end of the movie, took out Charlton Heston, turned it into a loop, matted in Dr. Zayas, my girlfriend, made a Nova costume out of a dog blanket that we had in the house. And, and she's <laughs> amazing. In uh, so uh, it, it, that went up today for uh, a, a thing called Stand Up for America. It's pretty easy to find and it's on all of my platforms as well. Oh, that's great. I think I've seen the prosthetics that you did, the makeup for it on Instagram. And, and I remember like scrolling past and just thinking like, well, that's a still from the movie that I've seen already. So, and then I was like, oh, right. it's actually Tana. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Again, and this ties to Greg Nicotero, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm friends with Greg, who runs KNBFX and The Walking Dead and Mm -hmm. and Creepshow and all those things, I have access to. What I do is exactly what they did in the movie. The only thing that's different is the glue is better. That's so Mm, great. Oh, yeah. They use spirit gum, and now they've developed this sort of surgical adhesive that I use that is, you know, the you can't the only thing is you can't pull it off. I mean, that thing you have it takes <laughs> two hours to put on and an hour and a half to take off. Oh my god! I thought you meant the theoretical glue is better. The concept is better. I'm just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> the actual glue is is much better. And then, but then I just had Rob Cohen direct it, and and uh, and and then we did some other stuff that will show up on the internet soon. Oh, cool. uh, I'm trying to. I'm devoting uh, this phase of my career to turning Dr. Sayas into a comedy character until I'm asked <laughs> politely to stop. But <laughs> Disney's not litigious, are they? No. no. But I'm happy to do it. I, uh, it makes me laugh. That's why, you know, it, it makes me laugh. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah, of and course. that's the most important thing. One thing that we should um, pour one out over is uh, I, I remember seeing your tweet and it really affecting me. Uh, obviously, it's very difficult out there right now, but it's made far worse when you realize what the circumstances are for this Halloween, being a <sighs> Saturday, being yeah. a full moon. Daylight yeah. savings. We get an extra hour. Fucking hell. It really and hurts. And I now have a black cat. So the whole thing is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the worst part. Yeah. Because that could be the spirit of the Dark Lord. We don't know until Halloween. <laughs> His name was Lucifer for a while. We've had a hard uh, time getting a name to stick. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Don't you think that we could, you know, because Trump is doing like uh, Operation Warp Speed. Like, I do think we could do Operation uh, Halloween. I think enough people would be like, we're doing what it takes. We didn't realize that this meant we wouldn't get to dress slutty this year. We (laughs) didn't think about it. And we need to get to it. (laughs) Yeah. Now it'll just be like slutty mermaid surgeon. (laughs) Yeah, everything will be in a hazmat suit. Slutty, Slutty robot surgeon. Yeah, (laughs) there were two moments during this pandemic and and isolation where I like kind of broke 
And the first time was when I saw all the social distancing measures taken at the Universal Orlando Margaritaville. That was <laughs> There was something about seeing someone on stilts with a face mask that was really upsetting for me. You're already <laughs> so now, far away from people. You're on goddamn I know. Bill. I know. They don't need them. And the second was when I heard, similar with Universal, Halloween Horror Nights being canceled. Yeah, so, Universal canceled and... Ugh. Not Scary Farm canceled. That's yeah. my personal fave growing up. And Julia has been going to the Knott's Berry Farm, like, what do you call that? Promenade? I think <laughs> they call that? it like the Calico California Stroll. Julia, what's really funny to me is that she keeps telling us like, and it's always dead. I can't believe it. I'm just like, you can't believe it. You can't believe <laughs> that they're, <laughs> it's not downtown Disney, but I, I love your love for it. Thank you. Is no one else going out uh, uh, a half hour to an hour out of their way just to touch Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm <laughs> and then driving home? No one else is doing this? Y'all are going to the beach instead? Okay. Okay. <laughs> There's some good news. There's uh, uh, not Pierce College. See, that was my favorite was the Pierce College Haunted Corn Maze. Oh. oh, home of Spookily, the square pumpkin. <laughs> Griffith Park Haunted Hayride is doing a drive through. Oh, no way. That's I'm awesome. worried about that, though, because what if you get spooked and you pump the gas? And you floor it? <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that's built in. <laughs> I'm hoping that's built in. I want it to be like a car wash where you kind of just like hook on and then. Haunted car wash is a great idea. Actually. That is a good idea. It should all be Jurassic Park themed, right? <laughs> Should I just go in there and pitch? <laughs> I'm free. Or Andromeda Strain themed. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're way off topic. We meant to talk about you and we're talking about spooky things. This is me. This is all I'm interested in. Yeah, Halloween in. is pure, Dana. <laughs> yeah, it's all, I'm in, it's all I'm interested in. I know that you've talked about this on other podcasts. and uh, I've, never in... been on, I've never been on another podcast. <laughs> Who am I thinking of? <laughs> but uh, it, just for anyone who loves your work, but maybe doesn't know you as well personally, that's one of our listeners. Can you kind of walk us through how you fell in love with Halloween and everything scary and became friends with the amazing people you're friends with? Because uh, that would be very exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, but this is neither the time nor the place. <laughs> I've always loved that stuff. It was, as my friend Matt Weinhold describes it really well, it's my football Mm-hmm. I grew up in a really small town in Massachusetts. My dad looks like Stephen King. <laughs> I lived on Cemetery Street. That was my address as a kid. Holy shit. Oh, my God. The house is still there in Cemetery Street, and wow. it's a little street, and it <laughs> dumps into the town cemetery, and that's where we would play as kids. We would go down there, ride our bikes, play Dark Shadows, which was a TV show that was on when we were kids. You know, we had creature features, and, you know, that was always my interest. And then, you know, I got older. And got really into into comedy, and they were always very. It was always very separate, you know, my comedy career and the stuff that I liked. And it wasn't until years later that I actually just started incorporating it <laughs> into what I liked. But it, it, you know, it's you know, I became an adult. I was I was married for years. I uh, have children, and, and uh, after a while, just like you know, this is the stuff I like, and this is what I'm gonna. This is what I'm going to talk about and, and be interested in. And I'm very happy to have that little niche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the first time I did, I'll, I'll give you an example. And being a uh, comedian that liked horror movies, I was very fortunate uh, years ago in the early 90s to work with a comedian in Pittsburgh named Frank 
Nicotero, who's a really funny comedian. And we worked together for a week. And naturally, I was just like, you know, what are you doing? It's like, this is how long ago this was. It's like, what do you do? Well, normally, uh, I would go into town and I would uh, rent a VCR and watch and just rent movies and watch them all the time because I wasn't a partier. And, you know, so I was just watching a bunch of horror movies. And he's like, oh, you should meet my cousin, Greg. He lives in L.A. And at the time, Greg was a special effects guy. So we met, became super great friends back in the early 90s. And then over the years, Greg became this giant, you know, he is one of the executive producers of The Walking Dead. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's huge. And, and by being friends with Greg and being in that world, I met a, a bunch of other, you know, you just meet and know all of these people. And I was very happy to be known as like the comedy guy that was a part of that world. The first episode of The Simpsons that I wrote is called Homer the Mo. Yep. Yeah. When they go to the bar M, when M is upscale, the doorman Cecil is Greg Nicotero. Oh, yeah. That's so great. That's so fun. So I'll give you an example. Years ago, I was a writer on the Ben Stiller show, and I wrote a sketch that was Planet of the Apes, the musical. And it was a commercial for the musical Planet of the Apes coming to town. And it would be like when, you know, if when Hamilton comes to town, they do the commercial of Hamilton, right. just snippets of songs and, and the commercial. The second sketch was uh, from the producers of Planet of the Apes, the musical, Hal Holbrook is Dr. Zayas as Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> Dr. Zayas doing Mark Twain tonight. Ben Stiller got canceled before we could ever do that sketch. Planet of the Apes, the musical, ended up at The Simpsons. Has nothing to do with mine. I believe Crazy. David Cohen created it. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. It was not my idea. It was whole, completely, wow, though. completely different. And uh, they did a much better job than I than I would have done. <laughs> uh, so years later, John Hodgman is has this, found a picture of uh, Maurice Evans on the set of Planet of the Apes reading Mark Twain tonight, or reading Mark Twain's biography. And he had like, a, a, can somebody send me a, something about Dr. Zay is doing Mark Twain. And we were talking on the phone and I said, oh my God, that's so funny. I wrote that as a sketch like 20 years ago. And he was like, well, I'm doing Sketchfest in San Francisco. Do you want to do it? And my knee jerk reaction was, no, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but then I was like, wait a minute. Well, I do know people that can do that makeup. Right. It would be really funny. Yeah. So... I called Greg and I was like, hey, do you get somebody there that could do a Dr. Zayas makeup on me in San Francisco? We'll, we'll take care of the money and everything. And it was literally, and I thought it was going to be like, oh, well, let me call, let me call you back in a day. And it was literally just like, hang on. Hey, Andy, do you want to go to San Francisco? <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Yeah, we were all set. Oh, God. That's what Hollywood's all about, baby. <laughs> so we did it, and I rented a Mark Twain suit, and we went up to San Francisco, and, and we did it with John. And it's on YouTube. If you Google oh, Dr. Zayas Mark Twain, you can see it. So then I say it, and I, I put it on YouTube. And uh, John Landis, the director of American Werewolf in London, sees it and emails me, and he's like, not obscure enough. <laughs> I think you need to make it a little more obscure. But but to me, it was like, yeah, but like, this is what I, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, this is right, the stuff right, that right. I'm interested in. Of course. Like, we, we were talking, the other, I was talking to some friends of mine the other day, and we were talking about like, 
I think Joe Rogan's podcast now has the, the most listeners before infinity. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was comparing it to my podcast numbers. I'm like, you know, I, maybe people don't want to spend two hours a month talking about Jack Webb's fear of commitment, but <laughs> it's where I want to go. <laughs> and just You should lean into that. I mean, that's what I do. I like, yeah. this is the stuff that I like. This is what I'm interested in. And if you like it, I'm your dude. And if not, you can go across the street. That's fine with me. I don't... <laughs> right. In terms of um, following your interests, uh, sometimes to your own failure, which. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Dana, you've heard a couple of my songs. I write, <laughs> yeah. I write pretty songs about things that, you know, the Simpsons is the most mainstream thing I've ever written right. about. The other things are. It's the most mainstream thing I've ever been involved in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um, uh, but you know, when I wrote a song that was about the practical effects artist, Rob Bottin, my sister was just like, like your next song should is going to be about an extra from Scott Bayo Zapped. <laughs> <laughs> Not a pure uh, enough. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. Like, that sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like this is yeah. If if, if you think Doctor Zayas is funny, I'm your guy. <laughs> exactly right. I think there's such a great lesson to glean from that, though, especially as like a writer or any kind of creator, because you want to form your own bat signal of other people that. Speak That's your perfect same way language. of putting it. That's Jesus. Yeah. That's such a beautiful way. Of putting it yeah just thank yeah. you it's true <laughs> make your yeah. own bad signal yeah yeah because yeah. i think that if you spend time anticipating what other people want especially you know we're all in the industry tv execs don't know what the fuck they want so for you to cater to that <laughs> in any oh, way right. is you know it's it's a hollow exercise because you won't feel good about it and then you know you get rejected inevitably because your heart wasn't in it i have learned that lesson so many goddamn times. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, no, it's because it's always the same story. You, you know, you you take a gig that you know, and I, you know, it's like this will be. This is a sale. This is an instant sell. They okay. loved it. They want you know, mm. people want two things: orange balloons and car washes. Well, the, by the time they say they're looking for orange balloons and car washes, they've moved on. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the time it gets to you, uh, they've moved on. And if yeah, if you're not into it, it's a waste of time. You talked a little bit about this idea of like, you know, your comedy life and uh, your kind of your passions, your interests in horror and whatnot, um, being separate. In addition to wanting to kind of know like what type of material you were doing uh, at the top, I kind of want to know, did the separation exist outside of comedy as well? As you got older, did you find yourself kind of kind of hiding some of the things that you loved? I know that's quite popular for a lot of people. Not as I got older, as when I was younger, I did, you know, when I, yeah, absolutely. As a teenager to like college years, because there's a, there's like this chapter in um, Patton Oswalt's book, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, that made me cry, where he's talking about like when he, like he always loved comic books and toys and whatever. And then like, uh, once he recognized girls, uh, he suddenly kind of hid that stuff because mm -hmm. it's not what makes it in his mind it's not what makes you and at the time maybe it's not what makes you attractive to girls and so that always breaks my heart and I know that at least in my generation it's much better than it was for even my sisters who are only 10 years older than I am of just like you know there's always some level of like you know I don't want to always be myself but it right. became okay to like it it was more um I, it wasn't as I didn't hide it so much as it did sort of take a backseat to new interests like when, right. you know, when I was in my early when I was in my late teens early 20s I was really into I was completely immersed in in stand-up comedy like just like uh, omnivorous about it and music 
which to me was a part of it because the music I liked was, you know, alt music and new wave and punk, which was what I saw myself trying to do the comedy version of. Um, So it was all sort of of a piece. And it wasn't until sort of my late 20s when I kind of settled down and was secure in who I was and, and what I was doing that I sort of rediscovered that stuff when I kind of relaxed a little bit. Mm-hmm. From 19 to 25, I was all Albert Brooks, George Carlin, and Elvis Costello. Right, um, right. And then that other stuff sort of came back because I'd sort of hammered my identity into shape and I could, I could move on. Yeah. Do you feel like those early days in stand-up, it was more of the, like kind of an intake of knowledge? Like you were kind of, you know, more in sort of the school zone of it and knowing that you 100%. didn't know a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So just like that curiosity. Yeah. And you're young and you're, you know, you're young and you're, you know, you're 23 and you don't have any responsibilities. It's like, you know, I'd, right. You know, and you haven't really yeah. lived. Like, what are you, what are you talking about in those early sets? Yeah. You're a child <laughs> with my, well, I started when I was 17, so it, it gets worse. Um, but uh, <laughs> math is hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's, that's the big opener. <laughs> yeah. Jaws, a lot on Jaws too. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that'll uh, age well. <laughs> yeah. The identity of being a comedian, you know, it's like, right. this is, this is who I am. I'm a comedian. Uh, I'm, you know, my friends at the time, oddly, mostly my friends now, like my, I was living in Boston, but my friends were like Bob Goldthwait and Tom Kenny. And we were all like the, the punky young comedians in high tops, you know, mm-hmm. we were the guys wearing, you know, Converse high tops and, and, uh, and um, uh, being ironic. Uh, and, uh, and that was our identity. And that was really important. Uh, you know, it was, it was very important at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, loving, you know, still loving all this. I mean, that's when I discovered Plan 9 from Outer Space and all that stuff, like, you know, chortling, chortling at how <laughs> weird it was and, and, and just discovering weird, you know, weird culture, uh, yeah. you know, was, uh, was huge to me because it was like, oh, this is my group. I don't remember. It's been it's been a few years since we did the Simpsons podcast with you. So I think even if we do repeat some stuff, it will feel new uh, in my brain. <laughs> but, feel um, new to me. <laughs> we'll look back on those questions with new wisdom. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Well, Dana, the keynote that you gave a few years ago still has really stuck with me of uh, this idea of kind of making it and at what point, uh, you know, kind of this idea, well, you could summarize better than I can since that was you, but one of the things that we try to do on our podcast in talking to these great writers is, um, kind of take them down a peg, make them a little human (laughs) or remind up and coming writers that, uh, you know, the people who wrote your favorite shows and that, you know, from TV didn't just wake up, uh, amazingly funny and brilliant and they're always happy all the time. Like they're still humans that are still oh, yeah. feeling like failures. And, you know, oh, I sure. think your keynote really nailed it. Can you kind of, uh, briefly give a couple lines about what went into, to what you said and, and kind of, if you still agree with that point of view? You know, the, the point of it was, was very simple, which was, if you are doing what you want to do, you've made it. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest is just a, a level of degree. Um, but, you know, I, the, the, the times that I look back in my career as, you know, the, the peak of my career and how hot I'm going to get in the business and stuff. And, you know, I was always looking ahead 
And now I look back and like, oh, it's so funny. I was looking ahead, but that was the that was the peak of like that was I was as <laughs> right, I was right. as hot as I was ever gonna get <laughs> then. You know? Right. I remember being on a I was on the cast of a sitcom. I had a comedy album out. I had a week off and in the week off I was going to New York to do Conan to promote my album. Damn. And the whole time I was thinking, if I could only get A, B, C, D, E. Right. Instead of thinking, look at look at this. Look right. what you've done little guy hey little guy <laughs> uh and and you don't you know you don't in, enjoy that at that at that time mm-hmm. yeah and and that was the that was the whole point of, of just you know you you've if you're doing what you want to do you you've made it right. that's it and, and it also leads to like what we're talking what we're talking about now like your podcast my interests you know do what do what you want to do and, and mm-hmm. take a deep dive into your weird you know my heroes my heroes are not mark Marin and joe rogan and these and these people that are have these big success like i look to people like drew friedman yes. and, you know drew friedman <laughs> is a cartoonist that does like beautiful drawings of tor johnson eating cereal in the morning like that to me is like yeah that's <laughs> That's yeah. where it's funny. Yeah. And people like people like Dan Klaus and, and Yeah. You know, I'm Klaus. like I'm friends with like Drew and I'm friends with Dan and I'm and I'm friends with Scott and Larry who wrote Ed Wood and you know, like mm-hmm. all of these people that take these deep dives into these weird tiny worlds that I just find so fascinating. And I would rather talk about that right. than yeah. anything else. So do that. And it's like you said, put up your own, put up your own bat signal. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool that the people that you describe as your heroes are also very clearly your peers. And I think that that well, is have become a, my peers, which is well, crazy. They were peers. not. I mean, they were not. <laughs> and I don't take that for granted. And I right. don't lose sight of that. Like I, you know, I did a live show. I do plan nine from outer space as a live show because I love it. And yeah. I, I was able to, call up drew friedman and ask him to do the poster and he did and like i don't have a i don't have any ephemera of myself or my career in my house yeah except that right you know, which is <laughs> there you know it's, it's a, a good the, poster. very cool yeah, yeah. and it's, you know and that's about it and, right. and to me it's just like because to me it just shows like yeah look despite the things that you know you know the like to me, it's great that I was on The Simpsons. It was great, but to me, the thing that impresses me is I can call Drew Friedman up. Yeah, yeah. I got his book. Any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental in like 1987, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it changed my life. Like it redefined humor for me. It was like you can do you can do stuff about Tor Johnson. <laughs> you know, you can you can go there, and it's funny. And and the fact that like I know him is, is to me is is really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say, too, with that, I I feel like, you know, kind of what we're circling in this conversation is like kind of trying to please the gatekeepers or the people that we assign in our lives to be gatekeepers. And, you know, so often it's someone in a position who is 
like non-creatives making creative decisions and yeah, all the time. Um, you know those positions are revolving doors too but i i find that the lesson that i have to learn over and over again is you know not paying attention too hard to those gatekeepers i know that it's hard to kind of digest that especially when you're just starting out and you only see the gatekeepers it's mm-hmm. it's only people that are like hey they're an actual agent or manager like i really want them to like me um but the name of the game at the end of the day is do i make my friends laugh do i make no. the people who i look up to laugh and that is the only thing that matters over <laughs> and over again it's a hundred percent true and you know, you see these gatekeepers cycle and it's crushing. I mean, it's crushing to be rejected and to see these gatekeepers and it never, it never ends. Right. You know, it, it never ends. Uh, you know, uh, I know people that are legends, comedy legends, and they still get served turd sandwiches. Ugh. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, and you to, to watch that happen, it's just like it's shocking. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, I, I think I remember you saying that like you and Paul Rubens had a project once that, or like something was Pee Wee's Pee Wee Playhouse esque or something, but you had uh, some project that when you pitched it to us sounded like brilliant, and then the fact that oh, that yeah. never went anywhere, it was just like, what are you talking about? That didn't go anywhere. <laughs> like, there's so many variables. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, I worked on a thing with Mel Brooks. What? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, that didn't then, go. Nah, not yet. Okay, yeah. fingers crossed. Uh, never say never. <laughs> but it was, it was just one of those things. Like that wasn't greenlit the day it was turned in. Seriously. Right. <laughs> really? All right, we have to take a quick break, and then we will be right back. Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And together we host a podcast called Still Buffering, where we answer questions like Why should I not fall asleep first at a slumber party? How do I be fleet? Is it okay to break up with someone using emojis? And sometimes we talk about bugs. No, we don't. Nope. <laughs> Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, a sister's guide to teens through the ages. I am a teenager and I I was two butts, 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 butts. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Oh my god, yeah. that was such a great break. Yeah. I felt it. <laughs> I felt it in my bones. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it is it is a great, you know, the, and the beautiful thing about how technology is removing the gatekeepers. Yeah. Is life affirming. You know, I um I had an uh, an album I guess a year and a half ago come came out called Mr. Funny Man. 
and I wanted to do it as a special and nobody was really interested. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, I'll do it as an album. People listen to albums more than they rewatch specials. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, had a, uh, got a great deal with a great label and the album came out and wanted to promote it. And um, somebody said, like, I, I think we can uh, get you on James Corden. And I was like, great. Okay, great. <laughs> and then sent him a set and they're like, uh, well, you did one of these jokes on Conan. I was like, yeah, I'll, I didn't know that you can't repeat. You used to do, you could repeat jokes on different shows. Apparently you can't do that anymore. Oh, yeah. interesting. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, um, I'll, I'll do something else. And they're like, well, we listened to your album and we don't think there's another bit in there. Uh, oh my so, god so, not funny enough to say James that no, but, it, but it was but it was one of those things like so can you just can you give us another set oh that i'll just whip it up <laughs> and i just said no oh my gosh and it was great it was and they were like no i mean send us, I was like, no no that's okay. i don't need to do that <laughs> and i was, never regretted it <laughs> you know because i when i go on the road people say one of two things i love your podcast or I love you on X's podcast. You know, yeah. I love you on your podcast or someone else's podcast. Right, exactly. right, right. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never like loved you on Conan, loved you on Kimmel, loved exactly. you on that. I mean, it's just that is not, I mean, I, I like a lot of those people and I like those shows, but right, that's right. not how people ingest stand-up comedy anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad that you stood up for yourself in that moment. Well, it took me 30 years. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it took yeah. a long time, but, I was, <laughs> but it was great. I was like, no, that's okay. No. Right, that's... right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like, it's not, it's just not worth it anymore. And you don't have to. That, that's the, that's the, you know, that's the great thing. Mm -hmm. um, and people, and, and I think that people respect you more when you say no to them sometimes. The best story of it was it was Larry David when he was doing Seinfeld and that, you know, he knew what he wanted the show to be. And the network was always would try to like, so it's, you know, it's going to be a fun family fun, uh, and Jerry's going to learn something and they're going to be friends. And was, <laughs> no, that's not the show. <laughs> the whole point of the show is that nobody learns everything and, and it, da, 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 da. right. And then we're going to do cross. <laughs> we're going to do a cross pollination with a single guy. And he no. That's no. not the show. And, and you just have to keep telling people and, and just do what you want. You know, remember when Jay Leno was on every night at 10? <laughs> remember that? Remember it. <laughs> when Conan first took over The Tonight Show, there was a period when Jay Leno was on NBC every night from 10 to 11. Mm -hmm. And it was a short period of time, but they did it. Apparently... NBC would, would often tell Johnny Carson, we think it would be best if you were on every night from 10 to 11. That'd be better because his ratings are so strong. And right. Johnny Carson kept going, no. <laughs> but he earned <laughs> that no, too, yeah, just like right. you earned that no. Yeah, you could say, like, yeah. no, that's okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it is, it is kind of a drag that you have to kind of, like, earn the right to have integrity after several years of slogging with all the other plebes. Yeah, and usually the person that is telling you to do the thing that you say no to is fired within a year. 
Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and now they're working at, you know, now they're working in Florida at QVC, you know, it just, <laughs> it, you know, people just bounce around. Making so much more money than any of us ever will. <laughs> when I was a young comic, my, my goal was to get on Letterman, you know, and this was in the, in the, in the mid to late eighties when, when Letterman was just, there was nothing better. Yeah. It was so amazing. It was, and and it was every comedian's dream to just get on Letterman. That was like you're cool and you're you're done. And they they would see me, they knew me, they they kept track of me. I you know I would call them. They knew, and I just never. Robert Morton was the producer, and I could never get the gig. I could never mm-hmm. get the date. Mm-hmm. Robert Morton left the show, and the other guy Rob uh, came in. And uh, I did the show like right away. Wow. Yeah. So sometimes it's just down to one person. Well, it's interesting, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. That's what you'd think. So, and I did the show and uh, it was completely fine. It was the, <laughs> the definition of okie doke. <laughs> Won't upset grandpa. Comedy. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, you know, it was just like I did it and everybody laughed and I was done and I didn't know anybody and you know, it was summer and most of my friends were in, in town and I just, the, the show was over and I walked back to the hotel and went to the movies by myself, <laughs> watched Romantic. it in the hotel, flew yeah. home the next day. Nobody recognized, my life didn't change at all. It was just completely, yep, I did it. <laughs> and then a couple years later with my uh, engaged and my uh, fiance was uh, my later wife, later ex-wife, was a big show business executive, and we were we're going to Tuscany, and wow. we're gonna stay with Robert Morton in his house <laughs> in Tuscany. <laughs> and I'm like, this is gonna be terrible, because Robert Morton is my bet noir. You know, Robert <laughs> Morton kept me off Letterman. I don't know what I did, but I'm gonna find out. In his house. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find the vial, yeah. the secret door. <laughs> we went and, and he was so charming and, and wonderful that you, I was disarmed instantly. And then mm-hmm. at some point over the course of the week, and it came up and he was like, well, when was the first time that you did the show? And I said, uh, 96 or whatever it was. And he goes, No. And I go, yeah. And he goes, no, that was after I left. And I went, yeah. He goes, you, you did the show with me. And I was like, no. And he couldn't, and it was clear that he was, it was, it was clear he was serious. He wasn't faking like, it. No, he was oh. absolutely clear he was not faking it. Oh my God. And, and it was just like, he was, it was like, he just assumed that it had happened. Like, right, he, right. He, right. he had other things going on. Wasn't thinking like about it at shows. all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it and and like I was so like I don't know what he I don't know what I did to him. But I, I'm yeah. gonna find it. And he's oh. and I said you know this applies to relationships too. Like when you break up with somebody and you just spend two years wondering what they're thinking about you when 
they're not. They're not thinking about yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, like, I wish I had back all the time I spent wondering what someone who wasn't thinking about me was thinking. Oh, my about. God. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. No, people... Um, that's a very good lesson to have like in middle school. I think that would really help you. <laughs> just like they well, don't show businesses. You. Show business is just minis- middle school with cars. Oh yeah. It's like frozen in amber. It's forever. <laughs> yeah. They don't hate you. They just don't care about you and not in a mean way. They just don't care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hate some takes ways too, comforting. Hate mm-hmm. takes too much energy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's true. It's, it's, it's so it's not personal. And you know what? I've, I re- I had a TV show on the air that I ran, and uh, I had to hire people, and 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 then not bring them. You know, it's like there are people that you know I didn't give a job to, or that you right. know, had a job and then they didn't have a job the next year. And it's you know, it's always for you know a reason. It's right. never personal. You know, it's like no. I know somebody that is really upset that I did not give them a job as a writer they were not in the writer's guild and I was fined for not, ha- you know, right, for hiring, right, you know, it's right. like, I can't, you know, but they take it personally. They will go to their grave thinking I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, there's nothing I can do about it, you know, and it's just, it's just, a, it's how you choose to look at things. Right. A lot of uh, business stuff really uh, has a kind of one-to-one with dating or friendship as well, where it's kind of like, just because, you know, uh, so-and-so has a, I don't know, someone could, like if I met someone that was really great in all the right ways, but then there's someone better who I choose to be with, it has nothing to do with the other guy not being great. I just wanted this one more. (laughs) And you know, that person might for the rest of their lives be, well, not for me, but like someone might be like, I need to change. And it's like, no, you'll find the show that wants you, a person that wants you. You're just not this time. It's not a big deal. Just keep trying. And as far as like working in the industry goes, it's like we've all the reason why we work in the industry or try anything risky and creative is because we've been telling our own narrative to ourselves this entire time. And that narrative is a star will rise. (laughs) (laughs) And so when you find the roadblocks, you go, oh, this is definitely like the turn, like everything's in these obnoxious save the cat (laughs) sort of analogies. Save the cat. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I feel like everybody, whenever they get fired from a creative job, especially like have it take so and how can you not because part of the job is like bearing your soul but you know i've definitely felt that way i'll continue to feel that way (laughs) in every movie every show that i love at the time you know jaws they were gonna fire steven spielberg every day like like this movie you know star wars like nobody liked it everybody hated (laughs) it you know it's like all these giant things it's like and i think it was yeah it's a wonderful life people didn't care about bombed when it came out um crazy and i think it was actually bob woodward the reporter that said uh all uh all good work is done in defiance of management <laughs> yeah um, and uh asking for forgiveness later and and the only thing it means and you, to make the dating of like work and and and, and dating it, it's sort of the same thing that like if you are in, if you are a if you are a fan of you uh, if you are, if you believe in what you're doing and, or you believe in who you are, then those things can't hurt you. Uh, like, right. It always sucks to get rejected. It sucks to get rejected, but it, it, it doesn't last as long. Mm-hmm. The, the shitty aspect of it, of it doesn't last as long. If you know that like, eh, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, this is sometimes these things suck, you know, and, and break up, you know, it's not life or death. It's not yes or no. And I think that, 
you know, especially like, say, if you write a pilot, you hand it over to somebody, they give you a big note that kind of like pushes you back in a way that you can't help but spiral. I mean, we should treat it like going to the doctor, getting a second opinion from <laughs> somebody else, get their opinion on it. And yeah, just know also that like, you don't know what that person was going through. You don't know what that certain gatekeeper that's mm-hmm. rejecting you from whatever is going through. And again, they'll be out in six months. But yeah, not living or dying based on someone else's definition of who they think you are, because they for sure do not know who you no, are. I don't know. Yeah, the, and, and absolutely. And, and you don't, you know, you might look back on it in six months and go like, oh, thank God. You know, I, you know, I, I you know, I've pitched stuff that didn't get sold. I'm like, oh, man, that blows. And I look back, I'm like, thank God that didn't sell. Like, <laughs> Well, do you want to spill some of the treasure trove? <laughs> we'll get a round Springfield exclusive. What do well, people yeah. want to know? <laughs> I, uh, you know, at the, like, I guess it was two years ago now, I, my show, I had a show called Stand Against Evil on IFC, so and it was good. everything that I loved. It was, thank you very much. It was a horror movie and a comedy at the same time. It was perfect for, for mm-hmm. me. It was yeah. everything that I wanted. And then that ended and um, had a good three-year run, and we all parted friends. I was looking for what to do next, and everyone said, like, animation. Everyone's looking for animation. Everyone's looking for animation. Blue-collar animation. That's what they want. Blue-collar <laughs> with accessible blue-collar characters. Well, I, I was like, all right. Well, I had this idea based on this thing I used to do on my podcast called uh, Just two, two Guys from Boston, me and John Ennis. I have, no, I have zero passion for this. Zero passion. They <laughs> go, well, that's perfect for what they're looking for. Blue collar, animated, accessible. This is a slam dunk. Right. So I <laughs> write it down. <laughs> um, for those that couldn't see, you just uh, mimed vomiting. Yeah, because yeah. that's, you know, it's just like oh, that was all the. It was, it was, you know, it was that hard, you know, just <laughs> completely fine, okie doke, right? Uh, and went back and pitched it to everybody, and it it got passed on universally. And I've never gone out with something that got nothing. Mm. Yeah, I've always gotten a nibble or a deal for a script or something. It's just nothing. And and in retrospect, of course, I got nothing because. They could tell I was bored with it. Right. Yeah. You know? Like why would they be excited about it? This is what this is what you want. You know? Right. And, and right. one of the things that I've learned from show business is that whenever you hear this is what they're looking for, well, then that's the one thing they're not looking for. Yeah. Because yeah. by the by the time it gets out that that's what they're looking for, they want something else. You know, it's it's so funny. I was I remember I told the story the other day. I was I was in a meeting with John Landis, uh, written uh, wrote a show with a very funny writer named Melissa Samuels, and it was a sketch show. And we were pitching it at Universal, and it was going to be John Landis's company at the time. He had the show Dream On, and he mm-hmm. was you know, and he was John Goddamn Landis, you know. So we're in this meeting. These two young executives are sitting there going, "What drives the comedy engine? We just don't know what drives the comedy engine." What? And that clearly was the phrase that was the D that was the development phrase of the year. Sure. How many engine. And I remember John saying something like, you know, I made a movie called animal house. That's pretty <laughs> successful. And I made a movie after that. I made it was called blues brothers. And that was pretty successful. In fact, I think it was the, 
Yeah, Animal House is the top grossing comedy film of all time. <laughs> he checks his watch. Yeah, Animal House. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the top grossing comedy. And, and I got through making both of those movies without ever hearing the phrase comedy engine. <laughs> I, uh, so in terms of the comedy engine, it's funny. And the stuff that's not, stuff that's not funny, we're going to take out. And then we'll put funny stuff in. God damn, I want him in every yeah. room. But it was like it was like, that killed it. It was like, he made his point. And that yeah. killed it because right, they would rather right. they would rather be right than successful. So yeah. irritating. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because they're all I mean, as we mentioned, like those execs get fired all the time. So they're all justifying their jobs. And oh. I think especially now on Zooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Working yeah. at Mad Magazine uh, was the th- was extremely thrilling until you realize like how many people are running it that have never read Mad Magazine, don't care about comedy and don't, you know, we were owned by DC and that's great because they know a lot about DC, but that doesn't mean anything. We weren't even allowed to make fun of Batman's dick when that was a thing because they're like, well, that's DC world. So you can't make fun of it. And it's like, yeah. so we, we can't make fun of anything that Warner Brothers has made. Okay. And then Jesus um, Christ. the people who made a lot of the decisions uh, are now gone. Uh, mm-hmm. In addition to the mad people who are gone, obviously, but it was very enlightening of just kind of like, when something especially like mad which is meant to make fun of establishments and all the things that are wrong with red tape like yeah and it's also it's like you're not saying batman's bad no (laughs) (laughs) his dick can be bad but it's making fun of you know it's like yeah it's it's i mean mad was yeah mad was if anything affectionate yeah. Oh um, my God. Right. It's an honor. People are so yeah. excited. Like, um, yeah, you I'm know. sure Quentin Tarantino was not enraged <laughs> that you did a parody of his movie. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, he commissioned it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know. Yeah, it's I like, actually got to edit that piece and hire the writer woo! for it, and I got to see the movie early, which was one of <sighs> that was for me the most exciting thing that I got to do at Mad yeah. and and one of the things in my career. But yeah, Quentin Tarantino was extremely. He said that it was he his Oscar, it. which was kind of like, haven't you won Oscars? Yeah. But anyway. He gets it. He gets, he gets it. it. And he's a great example of somebody that absolutely does what he wants to do. And no matter what. And everybody caught up with him. But everybody caught up with him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, he really, I, I can't say created, but brought to the four non-exponential dialogue. Like it would just be people talking about how a TV pilot is made while they're going to kill somebody. Right, right, and right. And not talking about going to kill somebody while they're talking to go to kill somebody. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, sort of like proto mumblecore in its own way. Yeah. And the way and that he wrote that dialogue. Was unheard of before. And I'm sure people, why are they talking about, I'm sure, you know, people, go, I don't know why you're talking about this. Right. Exactly. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you know, and, and sometimes yeah. you know, and, you know, you, you have to, you know, they're, they're worried about, budgets or what you know it's right, just like right, right. they don't have your concerns they have their concerns mm-hmm. really quickly just to geek out a little bit like with twin peaks like the the whole show in a lot of ways is is a commentary on television itself and you know david lynch kept being told by the network like you need to tell us who killed laura palmer i know that ruined right. the show and it ruined the show yeah. and it, it's funny because if you know one way there are a million ways to look at 
Twin Peaks and anything that Dave Lynch has done. But one way to look at it is kind of this idea of kind of uh, consumable violence and how mm-hmm. a lot of other shows that were on at the time, you know, they had kind of a monster of the week and something that could be wrapped up really well. And obviously like Who Shot JR and a bunch of other things huh. that were kind of, you know, <laughs> people kind of just looking at things in a, we want, uh, we want resolution. We want uh, closure. And David Lynch is the last person to give you closure. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> right. Can I, can I say that Bob, I read Bob Iger's book earlier this pandemic, <laughs> earlier this pandemic, like earlier this summer. And there's a whole chapter about, cause he was the head of ABC at the time. And he feels really bad about how Twin Peaks ended up because of his leadership. So oh, wow. They feel that way after. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just just to put it on the table. That's so funny. <laughs> I actually like Bob Iger. I think his book was uh he's a he's a good guy when it comes to all those ghouls. <laughs> but that's another podcast. Have you read the uh Mark Frost? I saw there's a book at Book Soup called Conversation oh, with Mark Frost. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you'd read it and if there was I any good, good peak stuff in it. I know I know somebody that worked with him once and he said uh so this is me repeating a story that somebody who talked to him told me. So, yeah. So step away from what happened. I'm sure this is but, this is what we want. Uh, but this something to the effect, this is something to the effect of Mark Frost saying, "I knew we were in trouble when I saw the cream corn." <laughs> um, David's son was playing a little kid, and he had a line. And then uh, I see the dailies, and he's holding cream corn in his hands. I said, uh, Dave, uh, what's what's with the cream corn? And Dave goes, well, we had it for lunch, and I thought it looked great. Oh, my God. Like, that's when I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> that is no. unbelievable. I uh, I can't tell you how, how much that breaks my brain because I really love watching and listening to and reading any type of analyses of movies I love or TV shows I love. Sure. And I have been watching this like four hour long analysis of Twin Peaks. And um, what is that on? On YouTube. And I'll send it to you. It's actually oh, it the cool. British. Well, here's the th- All right. Let me just introduce my, do. my theory is that you can't analyze it. Of course. Because yeah. it's there is no plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't know what they're saying. Right. At the yeah. Time. Well, just, as evidenced by this cream corn story. But what's so yeah. funny, it's so funny to hear that. Because in this thing I've been watching, which is kind of presenting this case of how this is all a big commentary about TV oh. and blah, blah, blah. They're saying how um, cream corn or like garbonzia, uh, whatever yeah, the name Garmin-bosia. is. Yeah, garbonzia. Thank you. How that is indicative of uh, the nature of popcorn or uh, other types of foods that you would be eating while you're watching a movie. It. And I how frozen TV dinners had the, had the creamed corn in it. Right. And it's just so funny to think that you have it all figured out and then... I love to learn. it. Yeah, no, it was just what was on this, is, this is my shit. This is yeah. my shit in such so a big way. Good. I had an avant <laughs> garde film class in college, and they we, we studied King Kong, the original King Kong. And there's a scene where King Kong is going through New York and he destroys the, uh, tr- the subway, the, the L train. Because well, this was actually a symbol of uh, there was a strike in New York in 1930, and this is <laughs> Kong as the as the as the the, wor- the worker tearing <laughs> apart the machinery of progress. That's what this is. All right, well, he's a college teacher. Yeah, yeah. Years later, I'm watching the uh, laser disc. Oh man. <laughs> yep, and listening to the commentary track, 
and it was the and it was the screenwriter and he goes uh this is kong it was like a like a radio interview with him from the 40s and they like cleaned it up and put it on a laser disc or something and he goes i used to live in new york right by the l and he used to wake me up every morning at six o'clock and the minute i had the first thing i knew kong was going to do was tear apart the goddamn <laughs> i love it <laughs> i love it <laughs> this reminds oh me of one of my God. favorite movies of all time room 237 it's a documentary oh, yeah. sure. on love sure. yeah. love the it. shining yeah. it is not only a great film for anyone who is majoring in film studies uh, like I did or anybody else that goes to film school should watch or anybody else that likes The Shining. But it is a film that is perfectly encapsulating art criticism and how everything matters and nothing matters. Mm-hmm. It like, oh, it not only is it so hilarious, but it opened my eyes in such a big way because I, you know, I went to film school and majored in film studies. And so I was in those classes where everything was weighted with this like added layer of importance. Yeah. And then when I segued into becoming a creator myself, I felt like I had to weigh everything with this importance. And I Ugh. like finally saw this movie and it opened my eyes and, and made me realize, no, fucking no i mean maybe the coen brothers are thinking about certain things but they're not like making every inch of like who can it's a collaboration you can't make every film set be perfectly lit in such a way that like i don't know represents like socialism in the 50s or something stupid (laughs) it's like the beatles when they would just start writing stuff for people to misinterpret oh yeah of course (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i Uh, remember as a kid getting really mad when people would try and tell me like that all the songs are about drugs and stuff i'm just like no they're not you don't know them and i do (laughs) (laughs) you were right though (laughs) true very true we've bounced around so much and we haven't even touched anything that you've done Fine by me. <laughs> well, oh, you know what? Wait, wait, wait. Something we have to talk about because, um, and, and I don't know if you'll love it or not. Our uh, producer uh, is a very big fan of Gex. Since retiring from the public's eye, I have resigned myself to a life of solitude. For two years, I started my day watching Kung Fu Theater. Days, then weeks blurred into one long, greasy telethon. The next thing I know, some government goons show up at my place. It seems they've caught a whiff of old Mr. Sunshine himself. Rez. He's back in the media dimension, and they think I'm crazy enough to go back in after him. So they whisk me away to Interrogation 101. They play rough. Start giving me the business. I give a little back. (laughs) (laughs) You never thought in a million years that would be what would come out of her mouth. Honestly, every day. Uh, I knew. I knew. Every day. Wow. (laughs) Every day. Also Rob, also Rob Cohen, also Rob Cohen. Really? Yeah. Uh, um, no, uh, I, when I go on the road, I, people bring in Gex games to sign. Wow. Is it a blessing or a curse? Oh, I love it. I, you know, it's like I was never into games and stuff, but I, I you know, and he's now he looked exactly like the Geico lizard, which every time right. he's like a Geico lizard, like, hey, that's my video game. It's <laughs> the only mm. thing I've ever done that my kids thought was cool. That's so like, funny. My oldest daughter, who's a gamer, thinks it's cool that I was the voice of Gex. And my middle daughter can't believe that I know Paget Brewster. <laughs> she, she is into whatever that. The crime show that Paget is on, and I'm like, I was like walking through a room, like 
that's Paget. What do you want? You can never, like, you can never anticipate it. Yeah, and she's still like, I literally like went back and like, no, here she is. She was friends with your mom and me. We go to dinner together. Look, and yeah. she's like, wow, that's so funny. My former one was the only thing that my family cared about was that I um, used to work on the Ellen Show, and now that's not so popular. Yeah, not so popular anymore. <laughs> For yeah, reasons no. I won't divulge. <laughs> I hope you danced. <laughs> oh, I did walking out of there. <laughs> Let's see. So, uh, Dana, uh, who who would you cancel and why? Yeah. Oh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, unless you have someone, then we'd love um, to hear it. Well, I want to cancel the same people everyone else wants to cancel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, it's called right, voting. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope, hopefully, that'll be, hopefully that will be enough. I will say it is interesting. You know, the the trait that I admire the most in people and that I instill in my children is empathy mm-hmm. that you need to understand what other people are going through and, and think about other people. And especially as a, as a, as a comedian, because as you know, it's just, uh, I'm bidding on a rare photograph of a comedian listening <laughs> of um, to someone. And the trait that I, really loathe the most is narcissism Mm -hmm. and obviously it's because i fear i'm narcissistic and that i'm not empathetic enough so i me too work work really hard to cultivate those aspects oh i mean we're on a zoom it's i'm struggling not looking at myself this entire time but it's it's, so this is a very triggering time to live in when lack of empathy and malignant narcissism are celebrated Oh, yeah. It's very scary because it's what gets the most clicks. You know, it's no one wants to see uh, a nuanced, you know, I would say tweet, but that couldn't exist. So like, no, no, that's the whole nature uh, of it. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not shareable. It's not right. right, Once people are able to find a way to really capitalize on caring about one another in a very deep and, and authentic way, then we'll see that reflected differently but yeah. until then um uh, that's also- like the old george carlin line it's like why have we not you know why, why do we have a homeless problem because there's no money in solving it exactly right, right. right. exactly right oh my god one of the things that I'm the most uh, proud of in my life and that I'm happy that I can recognize is uh, just who my friends are. And uh, just in terms of like, they're all really nice, like, uh, and not, not like boring, nice, you know, they could be yeah, assholes they're and <laughs> they're, they're kind. kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're kind. Yeah. Not to make this all about politics, but I am, I am feeling somewhat optimistic just because <laughs> I feel like what's been going on the last several months has been very eye opening to many people. And I'm really hoping that that happens and then we could mm-hmm. all do podcasts in in little booths where we're breathing on each other I again know, I know. <laughs> Some, someday yeah no someday. It, it is you know i i don't know what's going to happen and and but i will say like to step back and look at it from the macro donald trump being elected was was such a an act of hubris on the part of the nation right i was like yeah let's have a monkey drive the bus Oh, you know, we're we're on a cliff. It's full of kids. Let the monkey drive. Let's just see. A game show host can do it. We can videotape it. It'll go viral. Yeah, yeah. And and the world said, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, how about this? We'll give you a a glow. And it it is one of those things where I I will say, like, 
if they say that you know uh, you know democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other ones <laughs> uh, you know the you know the democratic party is the worst party except all the other ones <laughs> you know the, the, there is a conservative belief that government is bad and we shouldn't have it and now we're in a situation well you know right now a good strong centralized government would be a pretty good thing that'd be pretty right. swell um, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well going back to like our thoughts on empathy and and like how to harness that in in your current life it makes me think of at the beginning of our conversation of just like finding the things that are you and are unabashedly you and just like being true to that versus having to contort yourself to be louder or more brazen Mm -hmm. or polarizing just in order to get attention. It feels like those things work together for if you're going to be kind and empathetic, like, you know, you do it because you care about the world and you don't do it for that immediate um, feedback or, um, you know, treat of financial gain, things like that. It's, it's a long game that's worth it. And it's, well, it's being kind to yourself. It's being empathetic with yourself. It's like, no, yeah, do what you do, do what you like. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do what you like. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's really true. And, and it is one of those things where you, you know, you just have to start small, you know, just keep it, uh, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, personal behavior, that it, it does metastasize, it, it does go out, yeah. that that's all you, that's all you can do. And I, I struggle with it all the time, you know, unlike anybody else, I, you know, I get, you know, I hate things and people. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes that's super fun. Yeah, it's, I love, I love to sometimes. But I, I know people, <laughs> I know people, not to take it as down a rabbit hole, but like, you know, I know people and you do too, that, you know, comedians, former comedians, mm-hmm. who, you know, whose job is to uh, go on Twitter and fight with people. Yeah, that, and that is the type of um, energy that's like, being exhausting, that it's just kind of like, how do you do it? Like, that takes so much energy. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, I I call Twitter the pretty hate machine because, <laughs> so, you know, you go on it, you just check it, and then you're in a bad mood for an hour. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a detox for a full month this summer, and I started reading books again. I started mm-hmm. walking books? outside and seeing the sun. Oh, let me tell you about these books. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing to see. I mean, I know that like God, there have been op eds about this since the internet was a thing, but um, it it is amazing to see that transformation of just getting out of the hamster wheel and mm-hmm. reclaiming yourself. And my goal was, you know, I want to feel like the way I felt when I was in high school and didn't care what anyone else thought I liked or didn't like and was just like reading a book in the back of class and writing my little things and being like fuck it up <laughs> you know like I and, don't want to do anything else so and and also you know I, I had people come up to me I had one person in particular come up to me at a show I was in town they came to my show they paid to see me and after the show I do a meet and greet and I sign stuff Gex games <laughs> and, um, and the guy said, hey, unblock me. I was like, what? He goes, you blocked me on Twitter. Unblock me. And I'm like, well, if I, I've only blocked a handful of people. It must have been because. You must we, have done something bad. Yeah, well, it was just like a really. And, and But to those guys, it, it's just jousting. It's just like. It's a game. Arm, yeah. It's just arm wrestling. 
Oh, like, no, I'm a big fan, man. Unplug me. Right, like, right. Some, something oh. about that that I realized, this is a lesson I only had within the last like two years and it's changed my life. It's that sometimes the people I think are the biggest assholes aren't funny. They're just trying to be funny and they're just not. And mm-hmm. so, because, you know, if you look, you know, there are all these amazing legends of people like Harris Whittles would like email people back, like, you know, go fuck yourself to like a corporate chain. And it's hysterical because mm-hmm. he was really funny and people right. uh, respect him and he gets to do that. If, if Joe Schmo sees it and doesn't really have a refined sense of humor and doesn't really know people that well and is trying to do it, he just told everybody to fuck off and we all hate him, <laughs> you know? Right. And, but that's a, and that's a school of comedy that I don't understand. And this is me being, a, you know, a crotchety old man. Of course. Um, Wilford Brimley's <laughs> gone, so I guess I'll take his place. <laughs> <laughs> no one's watching the throne. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. But, you know, uh, one of the, one of the, somewhat successful comedians who's got canceled because of some inappropriate comments about Kobe Bryant while his body was still at the crash site. So insane. Said, uh, look, I'm a comedian. And when people die, people expect me to say something shitty. You had me until the last word. Yeah. (laughs) What if you said something? Maybe people expect you to say something funny. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. and, And to have a brain enough to know when it's appropriate. Right, exactly. It's such a cheap laugh if it is a laugh. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, when did being shitty become uh, the same thing? Uh, you know, wh- yeah, you know, exactly. Did, is, it, what is, is that the Bitcoin of comedy? Like, it's not really money, <laughs> but it's supposedly money that, you know, and, and, and that's just one of those things like, I'm like, well, I'm just from a different generation and a different school and I look at it differently. I, that really struck me as, what does that have to do with being a comedian? It doesn't. It's just about attention. Right. It's click mentality. It gets a lot yeah. of attention. If I say something, you know, if I say Joe Biden is just as bad as Donald Trump because in 1986 he voted for the crime bill, I'll get a lot of attention. It doesn't doesn't mean anything, but I get a lot right, of Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. What is it worth? It's, just, it's like Fruit Loops. It's just quick sugar buzz and a big crash after. <laughs> wow fuck we're sponsored by fruit loop so i'm really <laughs> oh, mad that you <laughs> aren't you sponsored by that other cereal that every other podcast is sponsored by that oh weird, what that... the protein one <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever it's actually called. we're we're on max fun we're the npr of podcast networks we don't do ads baby <laughs> well let me i know we got i know we're gonna we're running out of time but i do want to tell you a quick story yes about one of my favorite people adam west um, <laughs> I worked with Adam West a couple times, uh, before I was on the Simpsons, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Cohen, again, my often, uh, comment, my writing partner and I, uh, had a show on MTV called super adventure team, which was basically the movie team America, but, uh, two years before the movie team America <laughs> and, um, which is not to say they didn't hire our entire voice cast. <laughs> uh, it was similar, but, and Adam West was a voice on the pilot, and we got to work with him just to hang out with him, and he was the coolest guy ever, and, and you know, we just fell in love with him. And then um, about 10 months later, he was at one of those, like, celebrity conventions, and we went to see him, and, you know, we were, we were like, okay, we'll go up, we'll, we'll reintroduce ourselves, and because and, we both love Adam West. And as we are walking up to his table he looks up and he goes here comes trouble (laughs) (laughs) i love it and that was like one of like the top five moments of my life oh Oh my god adam west remembered me and 
you know, how are you geniuses? Like we had a lovely <laughs> chat. That's amazing. Years later, years later, we, years later, we had him on the Simpsons when Krusty the Clown was on Batman in a flashback and he was the voice of Batman. And uh, it, was, it was two things. The thing I remember was Burt Ward had just written his book, um, Back to the Batcave or whatever it was called. And it was a little, there was some salacious things in the book. And I said, uh, what did you think about Burt Ward's book? And he went, the hubris <laughs> to write that book. <laughs> the hubris, which is just like, like again, oh my that's God. what you would say. And everything then, you want from him. Everything you want. And then he nailed, he knocked out of the park where he was doing his voiceover and we're done. And we said, uh, and, uh, and, you know, we had great li Batman lines for Krusty. You Pagliacci of perfidy. Like, you know, we really like, <laughs> went to town. And then, um, oddly, the Batman series written by Lorenzo Semple, who was the father of George Meyer's wife, Maria. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. So at the end of the session, and we say to Adam, all right, we just need some wild lines now. Like, you're kind of grunting and struggling because your Krusty's tied you up and you're struggling in vain. He goes, okay. And instead of grunting, he says, without, we didn't give him the line. He did this. He goes, struggling in vain. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you win. That's so much better. Oh, yeah. my God. That's, yeah. that's such beaming. a dream. Yeah, and just beaming, just being in his presence. Yeah. So oh, that's cool. amazing. So great. Oh, that's so yeah. great. I'm so glad that you got to experience that. Yeah, just just, just beaming. It was, it was great. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dana, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this has you. been so much fun. And um, we should definitely do this again, either on uh, a podcast or not, because it's always such a treat to talk to you. So one day we'll be able to go to a place that serves food that we don't prepare. <laughs> and it will be brought to our table by a third person. By somebody <laughs> on stilts with a mask? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's the only thing I request after this exactly. pandemic. Yeah. Well, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. Anytime. I'd uh, yeah. happy, to, happy, to, happy to join you. Julia, where can people find you? I'm at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You could find me at Allie Gertz and all the things, and you could find us at Simpsons Pod. Yeah, and Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We are a member-supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Jesus Ambrosio, and our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. <laughs> Smell you later. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.